hairs on my body started standing on end. Silent. Nothing there. I fought to get back into my body. You are going to be a vital importance of helping us convince the masses. Type 471. Type 471. Bridge to the other world. Bridge to the other world. Welcome to Type 471. I'm Sam Kitchen. My guest today is the head of the Facebook group Bigfoot Encounters and Book Club. My guest, Casey Miller, is an experiencer herself. She is into all things Sasquatch. She lives and breathes Sasquatch. And you know I love Sasquatch, so it's going to be a good conversation. Casey Miller, welcome to Type 471. How are you doing today? Hi, Sam. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. I, I am always down to talk about Bigfoot, and you are deep, deep into Bigfoot. So, I, you know, I'm all for it, and uh, I'm excited about talking to you. So uh, tell us a All little. Right. <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself and your background, and and what first got you into the world of Sasquatch. Well, um, I grew up outside of the Native American reservation called Paulette Reservation, and it's uh, fairly deep in the woods. I grew up running around at the river and playing at the creek and just always in the woods. My brother was a hunter and a fisherman, so he was two years older than me, so I just followed him around everywhere he went. And uh, just have a really pronounced background as far as being outside in the wilderness. When I got a little bit older, I started working for a youth corps. We were out for five weeks at a time, and uh, during the fall, and uh, and summertime, and uh, so I, I just have spent so much time in the wilderness. I started foraging roots and herbs and mushrooms, and that's something that I really love to do. And I started having experiences while I was in the woods. I was seeing things that I really couldn't explain. I felt like I was seeing bedding areas for really large animals that must have taken hands to build these structures, you know, rather than bear claws and whatnot. So um, my first vocal encounter is what really kicked off my, call it an obsession, if you will, but I'm very, very interested in uh, the Sasquatch phenomena to this day. And I just, like you said, I live and breathe it. And I opened up a group for people to share their experiences and to have a safe place, if you will, to have conversations. You know, I was on some of these groups on Facebook and I was just seeing so much hatred and just rude comments. A lot of people are really mean to each other. And there was one person in particular named uh, Nicholas Adams, and I'm sure he won't mind my saying his name because he's a part of my book that I'm writing. And uh, <clears throat> he's very active in the group. Well, I just saw him being bullied, and I I go, this is not okay. People can't even have a conversation or share a photo that they think is valuable without being 
bashed. So I opened my own group and I'm very, very particular about the way that people treat each other. And so far, so good. We have over 3,000 members and people are really respectful to one another, but they also understand that I will delete their comments and I will um, stick up for the people in the group. It's so crazy to me just how divisive and how, well, uh, I don't know, what what would the word be? Volatile, the, the Bigfoot community can be. Like, I oh. people who are not involved in this really wouldn't understand. Like, you have to tread carefully in the Bigfoot world because everybody has their thoughts on things of course everybody has their alliances and their way of thinking and and if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person it's it, people can blow up and just kind of make assumptions about you and it's it, it can get pretty ugly pretty quickly and uh i've experienced that myself you know just posting some of my interviews with bigfoot related guests you know like if somebody sees that you were that you've interviewed someone that they don't agree with then they will uh, immediately make assumptions about you and and you know that that works on all levels and in all you know on all levels of the bigfoot uh community and in and in all ways so people can get really nasty really quickly in the bigfoot world it's kind of crazy well and even in my experience i've seen people get pretty vulgar you know and personally I'm easily offended. <laughs> I'm easily offended by people being vulgar. I just don't like it. I don't like name calling and nasty remarks. And why can't we just have a conversation without turning it into something that it shouldn't be? So again, that's where my group has been formed. And, uh, you know, from my experiences and I love to read, I am a bookworm big time. And once I really started getting into the Bigfoot world, uh, I spend a lot of time reading other people's books that they've written. I'm in the middle of reading Ron Moorhead's Voices of the Wilderness, which I think is really awesome. I'm glad that he wrote this book. It came with a CD, too, so I've been blasting the Sierra sounds in my car. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, recently, I was up in the woods and just doing an overnight camping stay. And uh, in a spot that I know is pretty uh, an active area, uh, I just have seen so many good foot tracks up there. <clears throat> I had a friend who has had a coffee encounter up there, and uh, I was out there camping. And the next day, I went home, and I was on this you know dirt road on my way home, and kicking up dust everywhere. Got home, and I saw these huge prints on my car. You know these thumbprints are like two and a half inches long. That's a big thumb. And I found a really interesting half a hand print and the very tips of it. It reminds me of when I see other people's handprints that they've gotten on their vehicles. And uh, really super interesting. I measured them. And the only places on my car that they were were on the side of the car that I wasn't sleeping. So it was the opposite side of where I was sleeping and really interesting friends and I even showed them to Larry Turner and Todd Neese and they were like these are amazing <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I was pretty stoked on that just to even have some kind of a you know to be validated and I love hearing everybody's encounters and I have people that are emailing me and we're writing a book of our own now and 
and it's been a really fun project. I'm interested to hear about that. But before we get too deep into what's going on currently, I'd like to start at the beginning and kind of go through your your own personal experiences like from the very beginning. Describe it for us. What was the very first thing that happened to you when you had a Sasquatch encounter? The first time I, I felt really strongly about having an encounter, I was at my mom. And my mom, she lives, her property backs up to the Wild and Scenic Rogue River. And Calameopsis is just, you know, hop, skip, and a jump from there. And then the Redwood Forest, uh, where the Oregon Caves are. And uh, I was over at my mom's, and I was sleeping at her house. And I woke up at about, I want to say it was like 4.30 in the morning or 5 o'clock in the morning. And I heard this, she has a uh, creek running behind on the property. And I heard these dogs barking in the distance. And then I heard what sounded like a Sasquatch mimicking a dog. Whatever it was, it said, woof, like that. (laughs) And I shot straight up out of bed. My heart was pounding. And I was thinking in my head, that was one big animal, whatever that was. And now that I think about it, you know, and I've gone over it and over it and over it, I became obsessed with researching Sasquatch because that's what I felt I heard. And just because of the sheer magnitude of the vocals on this thing, just making one noise was enough to jumpstart my uh, research. And yeah, I started just researching it. And um, my, I asked my mom that morning, I said, Mom, I, I think I heard a Bigfoot outside. And she said, oh, and it's funny. She was actually watching a Bigfoot show on TV when I said this to her. And she goes, oh, I've heard it too. And I said, you did? And she goes, honey, why do you think I watch these shows all day long? And I was like, Oh my gosh, what did you hear? So she described to me some of the sounds that she's heard and the sound that she's heard with my dad sitting outside and um, my own brother has had an encounter out there. So that really jump-started my research with the Sasquatch. And ever since then, I've just paid a lot more attention. See, when I was young and growing up in the woods, I was not thinking about Bigfoot. I was a really innocent, sweet little girl. And I... I just like to play fairies and dollhouses and I take my babies out in the woods and, you know, I would watch my brother fish and, you know, it was just kind of, I didn't pay attention. It was a little la la la, you know, and, uh, but nowadays when I'm out there, there are so many things that I see that I can't believe I didn't recognize before. <laughs> you know, I can see, uh, for instance, I'm, I'm up in the woods and I'm hunting for mushrooms, picking herbs and pulling roots. And all of a sudden I'm like, wow, that looks like the coolest hangout ever. And it's, you know, a big fir tree. And on one side, the branches have been pulled down and a log placed on top of the branches to hold them down almost like a natural blind, you know, like a hunting blind or maybe a bedding area just really interesting things that I see. And I mean, just, I took a video of that and then right next to it, there's um, a clear animal trail that has been, there's trees pushed over it. 
in sort of an X formation, almost like, okay, well, this is where I'm hanging out right now and I don't want any traffic through here sort of deal. And I see these patterns. So, you know, I, I see these little places where I feel like it could be a bedding area. You know, it's like a little makeshift blind. And then there's always some broken trees within like 50 feet away. You know, it sort of blocks any kind of traffic from coming into the bedding area or the, you know, hunting area or whatever it is. I just see these patterns uh, over and over again. And lots of foot tracks I've found, et cetera. I mean, I could go on for days. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you mentioned uh, a really good point, though. Um, you 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 can see logic in in what is in in what you've found you can see the logical thinking behind it and uh yeah yeah and and th- that raises a good point because a lot of the time people say well if they're bigfoots then why you know haven't i seen them i've been out in the woods my whole life and why don't i see any sign of them well if you don't know what you're looking for you could you you, you may see it and not recognize it for what it is uh, because Absolutely. yeah, yeah, it's, it's very subtle. I mean, these are beings that exist, uh, by their stealth. A lot of the time their sign is extremely subtle, but when you see it, you can see the logic in it and the thinking behind it. Mm-hmm. And it, which kind of takes me back again to my childhood where, you know, I didn't recognize these things until all of these subtleties until I was older and I was started researching Sasquatch because I didn't think about that when I was little. And if I heard grunts in the woods and I heard things that, you know, might've been that, I didn't think about it. It probably, they've been around me my whole life. So once I started researching, you know, I started seeing all of these, uh, I was out mushroom hunting not too long ago. I was early season, early morel season down in Southern Oregon. And I was out there mushroom hunting with one of my friends that I go out with every year. And, uh, he, he's been a hunter his whole life. And I brought up the Sasquatch and I go, wow, look at that. That looks really interesting. Wonder how that happened, you know, or wonder how that got there. And he goes, Oh, I guess you're going to, you know, you think it's a Bigfoot. He goes, I don't want to hear that nonsense. Yeah. I've been out in these woods hunting my whole life, and I've never seen anything like a Bigfoot. And I go, just because you haven't seen it doesn't mean it's not there. But I can point out to you some really interesting things all day today while we're out here, if you want. But he didn't want to hear about it. You're either kind of into it or you're not into it. You know, my dad's kind of the same way. He doesn't really want to. Hmm. He doesn't spend a lot of time in the woods. And, you know, I... I tell him my stories and stuff, and he'll listen, but he's not really very interested. <laughs> <laughs> he's more of a UFO guy, to be honest. Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's kind of all connected. We're learning more and more how connected all of these phenomena are. So I think one day we're going to realize that if you're interested in one thing, you, you've got to be interested in all of it because it's all, it's all related. Well, and I'm feeling a lot stronger these days. Uh, with that statement. Uh, I feel like these phenomena are very much interconnected. Now that I've do, I'm doing all of these interviews and I talk to people who have had encounters who are sharing their stories with me and I'm writing them, I'm revising these stories, I'm putting them in my book. 
it's amazing how many people that I talk to, they don't just have Bigfoot encounters. They have had a lot of other encounters, spiritual encounters. And for me personally, uh, I started having these dreams of this one Sasquatch. And I thought, the first time I had the dream, I go, oh my gosh, I'm talking about Sasquatch a lot because I've had these dreams. I saw this Sasquatch in my dream. It was so fun. You know, I can describe it in detail. But then, probably a few weeks later, and I wrote this all down in detail when it happened because I was so impressed by the fact that I was having repeat dreams of the exact same Sasquatch, you know, and I can make out his features and I can see him. And, um, it's really interesting because it's happened now three times, and it's the same Sasquatch. <laughs> wow, that's interesting. What does this particular individual Sasquatch look like that you keep seeing over and over again in your dreams? He is, I want to say, like, close to eight feet tall. Uh, he's more of a slender type of Sasquatch. He's not like the typical bulky, you know, overly bulky Sasquatch. He's sort of slender. He looks young. He looks maybe like he's, you know, an older teen or young adult. And uh, he's got like three or four inches of hair covering his whole body, except his face. He has no hair on his face. He's got high cheekbones, kind of grayish colored skin. And um, his hair is light auburn. It's like a, almost, I want to call it like strawberry blonde. It's like a light auburn color, and I uh, can't see his ears. Um, like I said, the kind of grayish skin. He's got black, black eyes, and the first time I saw him, I was standing at the river in the dream, uh, and I'm standing at the river, and he goes, uh, I, I heard this crack, really super loud crack. And it was it was amazing how realistic it sounded in my dream. And then I heard the loud crack, and then I saw him climbing down a tree. It's like he broke a branch off on purpose to get my attention. And I saw him climb down a tree and hit the riverbank. And I looked right at him as he's looking at me, and he's getting ready to turn around and walk away from me and go up an incline. I I go, oh, my gosh, it's a good clutch. And uh, that was it, and I woke up. And then the next time I dreamt of him, and I feel like he's a he. I didn't see any, you know, parts of his body that told me that. I just felt like his name is Raja, and he's a he. And I, but I just know exactly what he looks like, and I can see his face right now. And the second time, I'm standing in a hallway of a place that's really important to me, the school that I grew up going to, Celeste Elementary School. And I'm walking down towards the cafeteria, and all of a sudden, the whole hallway opens up, and you can see the forest, and here he comes walking through this opening in the hallway. And I'm just standing there looking at him, and he comes, he approaches me, uh, probably, you know, 20 feet in front of me, takes a little bit of a turn and all of a sudden there's a tree there and he climbs up in the tree and he hides behind some branches in the tree, but then he moves the branches to where he's looking right at me with his face uh, exposed. And I go, I'm just watching him and he's watching me and that's it. And he climbs down the tree 
after just looking for, at me for a moment, he climbs down the tree and he wa- he starts walking down the hallway. Well, he ruffled his hair with his hand as he's his left hand as he's walking away from me. And as he ruffles his hair with his hand, you see all of this sort of glitter, like sparkly dust just coming off of his hair as he ruffles it. And then he just disappeared into the sunlight because the sunlight was from the forest was sort of right in front of him. So he kind of disappeared into the light. And um, uh, it was really interesting because I went to Beachfoot recently. And when I was at Beachfoot, our campground, uh, well, where we were camping was right on the river, the Alfie River. And I went down uh, one day. And I was just floating around. I would go, there was this little area where there's rapids, like these little light rapids. And I would go up the rapids and float down and go up the rapids and float down. And I was just playing in the water. It was hot outside. And I'm sitting there and I hear this really loud crack from a tree branch. And there was one other lady down there and she looked at me and I looked at her and I said, where did that come from? And we were looking around, and it came from really super close by, but nothing moved. There was no branches moving. There was no wind blowing. Nothing. But it was so loud. And you know what it sounded like? The exact crack that I heard in that dream when I was standing by the river in that um, dream where I met Sasquatch the first time. And sometimes I have this interesting feeling that I'm sort of being eased into a possible encounter, a face-to-face encounter. Like maybe I feel like throughout my life I've had dreams. I feel like I have premonitions often uh, where I have dreams of something that's going to happen or that ends up happening and something that I'm scared of uh, that I dream about. And then Years and years later, it'll happen, but I've already sort of been prepared for it because I've had these bad dreams or whatever. These aren't bad dreams. Don't get me wrong. They're very good dreams, and they make me feel comforted um, knowing that I am out in the woods and maybe I am being watched after. Maybe there is a spiritual presence there with the Sasquatch people, and they're helping me understand their people a little bit better and that, you know, if I do have an encounter, I don't have to scream or run, you know, and that I could just be, just be, you know, if that makes any sense. And it's like watching, I was a little girl. I was like seven, eight years old. I did not know anything about drugs. And I used to have dreams about my brother and sister doing really hard drugs. And I, that always scared the life out of me. And then as I got older, I learned what these drugs were. Um, I also learned that my brother and sister are very, very deep into that lifestyle. And I I feel like I was being sort of eased into having to deal with that in my life at a later age. Uh, If that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. You, it was kind of a a way of helping you to cope with that and be prepared for it. Um, Exactly. That's how I feel about it. Yeah. And in my experience, there are kind of certain hallmarks or certain indicators that indicate a, a spiritually based dream. Um, 
and and what you've told me about your dreams, including the one with the Sasquatch, there are certain things in there that that tell me that it was in fact based in a in a spiritual communication or spiritual insight of some of some kind, and. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that you're becoming more comfortable with the connection between Sasquatch and other phenomena or a spiritually based phenomena. I am also quickly becoming more comfortable with that. It's becoming more and more apparent that there is, in fact, a deeper connection there. And I feel like, well, well, first of all, I mean, even people you wouldn't expect to be open to that. I have recently come to learn that they are, in fact, very open to it because it's just coming up so much. And, and yeah. I, I feel like we're in a place, in a moment in history, where we do have to understand the Sasquatch for a number of reasons, for their benefit, for our benefit, but also for the spiritual advancement of humankind. I believe there is a spiritual component there, or an opportunity for spiritual growth there, and that is a reason why it's very important for us to understand the Sasquatch on a spiritual level now. And I think that's why certain individuals such as yourself are are having these experiences. I think it's important. I also feel like, uh, and I agree completely with everything you just said. I also feel like, you know, there are people that have sort of been chosen to have certain encounters, whether it be Sasquatch or, or other spirits, I just feel like they know who would be more receptive and more open. Uh, recently, I had a, a friend that I grew up with. He passed away uh, from domestic violence, and his mom has been just shattered over it. And he's come to me a couple of times in my dreams, and he's the other night, he showed me her. She was sitting at a coffee at her coffee table, and she was t- uh, having some coffee or whatever. She had a cup in her hand, and I was sitting there with her, and then all of a sudden, I was sitting up on a ledge above her looking at her, and her son was standing next to me, and he said, and these exact words, I don't want her crying. And I kind of took that as, fix this. You know, help me fix this. She thinks that I'm gone, and I'm not gone. I'm here. I'm watching her. She can't see me, but I need help. And I was like, oh, I get these all the time from people passed on, and they come visit me, and it really is hard for me to approach somebody and say, hi, I really just want to let you know that your loved one is trying to communicate to you. So... (laughs) Uh, How does one broach that? You know, it's really, really hard. You have to be a receptive person in order to share these experiences. Like, if I get a message from somebody, I think that they know that I'm receptive, and I think that they know that their person might be receptive. And in this case, I was really happy that I did finally tell this woman I got this visit. I've actually had two visits from him, but I didn't tell you before because it was really sad and I didn't want to. She's been so devastated. And she said, no, I believe you 100%. I can totally see him saying this. And she said, I believe you 100%. And if he comes to you again, please, 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 please tell me. Now, there was another time recently where somebody came to me and I did not go and tell them because I thought, 
oh, that might be really weird. And I don't know them very well, but I knew the person that passed away. And I, I, she didn't talk to me when she saw me, um, when she came to visit me. She showed me visions of her brother and of her sister-in-law and her family. And mostly those two, though. I felt like really deeply, deeply urged to go talk to her brother and sister-in-law and say, she's fine. She's happy. She actually looks fabulous, you know, and everything's good. So, but I didn't do that. And my friend kind of, she said, they're very nice people. You should tell them. And I'm like, "Mm, no, yeah, I'm not going to do that. (laughs) That could be, it could be misconstrued as something that's insensitive or, you know, I'm, I'm making it up and it must be a super sensitive topic. And I'm, you know, being mean, you know, but I'm, I'm really not trying to, I just, I honestly get these messages all the time and I just don't really know what to do with them. Yeah, I know that's a tough spot to be in. I can really appreciate that. You have this insight and you feel like you're, you you have this insight for a reason and to, to be able to share that and help people with it, but not everyone is going to be receptive to that. It's, it's just kind of on an individual case-by-case basis. I mean, sometimes people are going to be receptive to it. Sometimes they're not. And so you just kind of have to feel it out. So I I hear you. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And sometimes, you know, I've had people come visit me. I don't know who they are. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know what, who you are. And it's just, and for a long time when I was younger, I was in my, you know, late twenties and I was having these dreams where these girls would come and visit me and they would show me how they died and a lot of times it was really really sad and and uh you know one time I had this dream where this girl she came and she she showed me this is what he looks like this is the car he was driving and she I saw her being taken into the backseat of this car and you know what's happening back there. And I'm watching this in my dream from far away. I'm like watching this from the side and I'm waking up crying and crying and crying. And I'm like, why, why do you do this to me? You know, I don't know who you are. And I, you know, for the life of me, I sat down and wrote down every single detail of what I saw from this guy, what he looked like, what his voice sounded like, how old he looked his car that he was driving. But what do I do with that information? I don't know what to do with that information. Where did this happen? I don't know if this happened in Oregon or California or Nevada. You know, it's just really tough. I feel like I'm being visited and sometimes I can figure it out. And sometimes I'm like, I have no idea. I'm so sorry. But I have to see this nasty, you know, experience that these girls have had. And, um, we talked earlier and I told you about how my daughter's this year and she actually is an amazing artist. So when she has these sightings in her bedroom or wherever she has a sighting, she draws, um, detailed and descriptive pictures of what she sees. Mostly they're teenage, uh, kids that have passed on and they find her to be comforting and they come and visit her. But there's been other times where there's been, you know, a military guy or an old fashioned maid walks into her bedroom or, um, a little girl sitting on her toy box or something like that. 
she had she's had some shadow people visiting her. Wow. That's amazing. And and that you and your daughter both experienced this. And I would love to see these drawings of your daughters, if I may, sometime. Oh, absolutely. Uh, she's got a whole bunch of them. I have a couple on my phone that I saved just because I was like, wow, that's amazing, Chloe. Um, and she's just, there's one I'll send to you, but his name's Bernard. And he, she has a bed that's up off the ground. And it's about five feet up off the ground. I want to say it's a little bit taller. But she said he must be six and a half feet tall, six foot three or six foot four, because she measured, and it's on the art that she drew. And he actually, he, he comes and stands by her bed and communicates with her? Yes. And, well, he doesn't talk. She said that he, she feels like he died from tuberculosis because of the way his skin looks and because at first she was calling him albino, but then she said that he, um, she thinks his skin looked like that because he died from tuberculosis because she sees him clearly playing his day in her room. Um, and what he does is he puts his hands over the railing on her bed and he just like rests his face on her bed frame and just, looks at her with really sad, sad eyes. And uh, he doesn't talk. She said uh, that he must be between six, two and six, three or whatever it is. I'll have to look at it again. And um, she found out a little bit more about his life because she had, he showed her visions in her dreams. So he, she sees him and I go, do you see these as like apparitions or like, clouds or like you know see-through people or she goes no i see them like they are people like whoa you're not supposed to be here <laughs> who are you you know and she for a long time she would sleep with a mask over her eyes with um blocked out curtains in her room with her door shut because a lot of times she gets visitors in her doorway mm-hmm. so for a really long time she did that. She wanted to, she didn't want to be disturbed and she would sleep with a mask over her eyes and everything. And just recently she started really getting in touch with it. And her best friend, thank God she found her best friend because her best friend, um, is the same way. She is a seer as well. And she actually has a, a medium who's a, a tutor. Her mom pays for her to see this medium, and she teaches her how to handle her abilities. So she's been helping my daughter with that, and it has been so amazing to have her in our lives. <laughs> she was sent to us to help Chloe because because Chloe is just she's such a gifted seer. I I'm like I can't even. I have the dreams, okay? I have the dreams. And, you know, I have other experiences, too, like my lights will just turn on and then turn off. And I have little other things that happen, but I've never seen anything like my my daughter Josie. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know how I would be able to handle that, to be perfectly honest. That could be quite jolting. Maybe uh, it's, it's a little easier for younger people to deal with. Like maybe she's... Uh you know, kind of, a, maybe she's a little more flexible in that way because she's younger. Maybe it's easier for her. Do you, do you think her age might, might be a factor? No, so, I think that always it's a factor. If you've got the gift, you've got the gift. 
And usually it starts out at a really super young age before your mind is being consumed with the distractions of daily life, especially when you start going to school and, you know, you're just more worried about what you're going to wear to school and all the things that you're doing. And uh, your mind gets a little bit clouded and you don't have the same, um, you don't pay attention to the same signals and you're not as receptive or... You know, like I said, I feel like these spirits, they, they know who is going to be receptive and who's not going to be receptive. And so they visit people that they know that they can communicate with because they want to communicate something. So um, I think kind of, yes, the age does factor into it. In Chloe's case, I think that her gift is so strong that she's almost 16 years old now and she's still having these experiences all the time. She just met a boy named Vesta. Vesta stays in her closet and, or does Bernard stay in the closet sometimes? One of them is visiting her and he'll do a little thing like he'll knock over a shoe or just to show that he can do something, you know? And she goes, (laughs) she's like, right on. But um, she said, Bernard likes to visit her when she's sad. Because he's sad, too, and he likes to comfort her. Um, Vesta um, followed her from a beach house that we rented. She told me that after we rented the beach house, and we were there for almost a week, she said that he followed her home, and um, he kind of hangs out. But he tells her his favorite music. She said, I feel like he is from, he must have been like 17 years old when he passed away, um, and he drowned in the ocean. And so she talks to me about who Vesta is, and it's really interesting to me, Sam. Sometimes, you know, I listen to her, and if she, if it weren't for the art that she draws along with, with all the descriptions, and, I mean, she's like, how do you know about what tuberculosis is and these years and what he was wearing? And, I mean, okay, for this year, you know, she's describing his, outfit in detail and I go well that sounds like about that era yeah and she's describing these she has these details that you just have to listen to her because (laughs) otherwise it sounds really super far-fetched but with the drawings with the um, descriptions I just, I have a really hard time not believing her. <laughs> yeah, it sounds, it sounds like there is something very valid happening. I mean, you can tell when it's, when it's something real and when it's, you know, something fantasy based. And it sounds like she's having a very real experience. I have a couple of things that I want to ask. I mean, there's, there's so much that I want to go into about this in this whole area. And I, I, I but I want to bring up a couple of things specifically. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, do that. First of all, you mentioned people being chosen, um, and, and you mentioned, and this, this goes very much along with something that I have come to realize uh, relatively recently, um, but I want to put that one on hold for a minute because there's something else that I want to ask you about. Uh, you, you mentioned these dream experiences in which these women who had had horrible things done to them had come to you and they were telling you about it. Uh, you, you kind of partially answered my question because I, I wanted to know if you had any sense of where this may have occurred. And I'm asking for a, for a specific reason. Um, 
but but you you mentioned like you don't know at all where they are. So so there's no indication whatsoever of where these things may have occurred. Um. So. So I would see things like the one time there was this one girl. She must have been like 11 years old. She was a little girl, and this old dirty man grabbed her up and took her into his car. He had like this longer white boxy like Oldsmobile and he had white hair and he just was nasty with his voice. She's obviously a smoker or something. And um, he had a friend with him in the car and he had another little girl in the car too. But the other little girl, it seemed like was maybe like a his friend's daughter that was involved and she seemed scared, but I could tell that he was raping her in the car because of the way that she was crying and, and the car and he got in the back seat with her and stuff. And she was showing me, um, a store. There was like a, like almost like a minute market, just, just one of those little quick stop stores. And, I was staying there and I got so scared watching this that I, I tried to escape myself, but I wanted to help the little girl, but the guys looked really scary, but it was a dream, you know, it's like, you, you don't have a whole lot of control when you're dreaming these kind of things. You're just kind of like there for the ride or whatever. So I'm watching this and I'm seeing a few, you know, there's a highway here, there's a store here and I see the little girl, but it's, you know, there's nothing I can do because I don't know where this store is. I didn't see a sign. I didn't see, you know, I, there was a time I was staying in Tahoe um, with my family and I stayed in this condo. It was like a timeshare condo and it was insane. I was married at the time to um, my ex-husband, my kids' dad, and uh, he was sleeping downstairs that night and I was sleeping upstairs with the girls. And I had a dream about this woman. She came to me. She must have been in like her early 20s, early to mid 20s. She had a dog, a German Shepherd dog. And she was really tan and pretty. And she was wearing a little crop top. She looked like definitely, you know, hippie era. And I said, hi, who are you? And I forgot what she told me her name was. I wrote it down in a notebook. I write some of the stuff down when I, when I get a hold of it. If it's seems like useful to me like oh somebody's trying to come across and they want me to give a message somebody you know i'll write it down good so i go you know we talked for a little bit a minute and i go well who are you and she goes well i'm the ghost that lives here and i was like oh okay and she told me your name and we were just chatting for a minute and she showed me a vision of her hitchhiking so in the morning i woke up and i was like gosh that was really intense and I told Landon all about it, my ex-husband, uh, his name's Landon. I told Landon all about it, and he goes, you're shitting me. And I go, no, what are you talking about? He said, I dreamt about the same girl last night, only she had a friend, and they were hitchhiking, and they were murdered. Whoa. And I go, that is insane. So I feel like we were both. And that actually happened to us quite a bit when we lived together. We would, I would have a dream about something and he would have an experience or something like we were laying in bed one night and we were watching TV and we both felt this 
crazy kick on the end of the bed. It's like somebody with a huge boot kicked the end of the bed, and we both were looking at each other. We were like, what the hell was that? I mean, we just had stuff happen to us all the time, so I feel like he's pretty connected, too. Yeah. Well, no wonder you two came together. That's cool. Yeah, we just really, I mean, we had a lot of experiences in the two houses that we lived in. And so, yeah, but those are just a couple of instances. I had a little girl come visit me one time and she took me up. She was very, you know, 1800s uh, wardrobe, little girl, probably seven. And uh, she was up, she took me upstairs to her attic and she was showing me her dollhouse and things that she liked. and. I just looked at her like she must have died when she was little at that age, you know, otherwise she might have shown herself to me as an older person. So they kind of show themselves to me as, you know, the age when they pass on. And sometimes they show themselves to me like, okay, I passed on, but now I'm choosing to look like this. And like my, my girlfriend, she had a drug overdose last year and passed away and I saw her, I've seen her two or three times since she passed away. And each time I see her, I'm like, oh my gosh, she looks fabulous. She made herself look really fabulous in her afterlife. Well, I'm I'm glad that she's doing well. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about the circumstances under which she passed away. Uh, it was a bad situation. Her son passed away in a car accident. He was only 15, 14 or 15. And... She was so devastated. She was already had a drug problem, but I mean, it just exemplified the drug problem to the point where now she's with him. Wow, that is so sad. Oh. I'm, I'm sorry to hear about all that. The reason I had asked about if you had any indication as to where this may have happened when you were talking about uh, the young women who had been raped, um, someone else came to me with something it, it just reminded me of something that someone else came to me about like they had an experience in mendocino uh in which a, a woman who apparently was not actually physically there was getting into this woman's car it came to be apparent to her that this woman had been murdered in the 80s or had been murdered uh you know sometime previously she seemed to be from a different time and and this experiencer seemed to connect this to serial killer John Annabelle. Um, I, I I was wondering maybe you you might want to take a look at pictures of John Annabelle to to see if uh, he matches the description of the of the man you saw. That would yeah. I mean, any kind of tips I can get to you know point myself in the right direction because I seriously took the information and I was like I don't know what to do with this I honestly like I can't call the police station and be like listen I had a dream mm-hmm. and, <laughs> yeah. and this is what I saw they're gonna be like okay sweet you know I'm just like a lot of the time you'll meet resistance but then every once in a while you might meet that cop who is open to it like just recently like I I talked to a police officer who was like man oh I could tell you some stories so there there are officers out there who are open to these experiences you just kind of have to find the right one yeah yeah exactly just like I was talking about earlier it's when I get these messages and I want to relay them but I'm like you have to find somebody that's receptive to it you can't just tell everybody hey Hey, Sarah, just you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, some people don't like it. Right. Some people don't like it at all, and they get really upset with you and, you know, call you insensitive and that's so messed up. And I have one friend that his dad came to visit me a couple times, and 
I told him about it once or twice, and then he just did not want to hear about it. He was really upset. He thought I was lying, you know, and I was like, okay, well, I don't tell you anymore. Yeah, it's a very, very sensitive area. It's just one of those things where you either find a receptive person or you don't. It's, you know, it's difficult. Yeah. On to the second thing that I wanted to talk about, uh, you know, that kind of grew out of what you had already said. You had, you had mentioned people being chosen, and uh, I couldn't agree more. Like, it, it immediately becomes apparent when endeavoring to inquire into this area uh, that certain people are just more sensitive to this type of experience, to experiencing Sasquatches, and people who have experienced Sasquatches usually, or at least very often, have experienced some other type of phenomenon. And uh, mm-hmm. like I'm one of those people, and I like when I had my Sasquatch encounter, I, I won't go into it in detail because I went into it in my episode with Bobo, and I don't want to be redundant, but in, in my Sasquatch encounter, the Sasquatch was basically just sitting there waiting for me. Like I, you know, I pulled into this empty parking lot. He was not far from the parking lot. This was at Whiskey Town Lake near Redding, California. He, uh, he was at the water's edge. Uh, he, he heard my car coming. He saw my headlights. He knew I was coming. He had every opportunity to get away. Uh, but he stayed there waiting for me and he himself didn't leave until after I had left. So this was an individual who wanted to communicate. He was at a similar place in life that, that I was, we were both in our late adolescence, uh, early adulthood. And this is something that Bobo pointed out. I hadn't even thought about it that way before that. So, so like, it, it seems to me like he had me picked out before I had even gotten there. Uh, this is becoming more and more apparent to me. So I think people, there are certain people who are, who are meant to interact with them, both for their benefit and human benefit. And I believe there's a spiritual reason. Uh, there are tons of reasons why we need to learn about Bigfoot. Like we need to learn about them for environmental purposes. We need to learn about them so we can protect them, set aside habitats. But we also need to learn about them because I feel very strongly that we're at a moment when they can remind us about an aspect of our own nature that we have forgotten. I think it's very important that we learn that right now and that we communicate that to people right now. So I think that's why certain people are being chosen for this kind of experience. Uh, where, where do you sit on all that? I absolutely agree. And like we were talking before, I really never thought about, you know, what people call the woo uh, aspect of the subject of Sasquatch people. I really never thought about it. To be honest, at first, I just thought that they were just a human hybrid. They're just very intelligent. They know how to stay elusive. They are, you know, they know how to survive off the land because they don't have all of the the distortions in life and the distractions and the noise that we do that keeps us from really thinking like we should um, or can. And so, but it wasn't until I started having my own spiritual connection to the one Sasquatch that keeps visiting me 
And I actually sat down with Braun Moorhead recently and we were talking and I told him about my dreams and he was, he absolutely agrees with me a hundred percent that uh, I'm having these visits, spiritual visits by maybe an individual who has either seen me or wants to connect with me in some way. And also Mike Patterson, I talked to him on a regular basis and we talked about this and he agrees. And so now I'm at sort of a turning point with my research and, you know, all my interviews and talking to people where I'm so much more open to the idea of the spiritual connection and the interdimensional connection because of the experiences that I'm having um, as far as that goes. I just want to take a moment to point out for the benefit of the listener uh, Ron Moorhead is the person, he, he was one of the people involved in the recording of the infamous, the very, very famous Sierra sounds uh, that were recorded in the 70s in the Sierra Nevadas or in the in the Sierra Nevada mountains somewhere. He, he's, he's not specific about where exactly it happened. He and several other gentlemen, including a journalist, went up into the Sierra Nevada mountains and, and they recorded their interactions vocally, their vocal interactions with a group of Sasquatches. And, and there's all sorts of information contained in these recordings. It's apparent that there is a language being spoken. Uh, and these, these recordings are outside the range of human capability. And Ron Moorhead himself had some quote unquote woo factor experiences uh, in his interactions with the Sasquatch. So that's that's the person that mm-hmm. Casey is referring to. Yeah, he also wrote The Voices in the Wilderness and oh, what's his other book called? It's, I see it all the time, too. I'm complaining it. But he's a really, really wonderful human being, and he's very much studies every aspect of the Sasquatch, including the interdimensional aspect of the Sasquatch people. Which is really cool. I really like talking to him. I love his wife. We connected really quickly. We hung out quite a bit while we were at the beach. But I didn't really believe in the whole woo part. Now I do. And Quantum Bigfoot, that's his other book. So Quantum Bigfoot is Ron Moorhead's other book. And he's very, gets really super deep about the interdimensional aspect of the Sasquatch. This is an area that I really want to understand because people see a Sasquatch, one moment it's there, one moment it's not. Some people believe that they are slipping into another dimension, hence the interdimensional aspect. Some people believe that they cloak themselves uh, where they are actually able to cause themselves to become physically invisible. I don't know what's happening, but I know that it's being reported all over the place. Someone recently... uh, uh, was telling me about such a sighting right here in my area, uh, and he's he's shortly going to take me to the spot where this occurred. Um, so I, we don't know what's going on, but you know, there there's something happening. Whatever is actually happening, a Sasquatch can be there one moment and then be gone the next, according to human perception. So <laughs> something is happening right there. We don't know what it is. I am aware of certain theories uh, that have to do, I'm not going to say too much about it because it involves ongoing research uh, that, that someone else is doing. 
but it, it has to do generally with some supplementation in the uh, Sasquatch diet that may account for their ability to do this. We, we just don't know, but something is happening. And, and for me, I feel like it's tied in to the, the spiritual component uh, of Sasquatch that we also share, but that humanity has forgotten. And I, I experienced like a counterpart of this recently in Southern Oregon. I didn't see any cloaking or anything, but sometimes it felt like they were there. And then sometimes it felt like they were just, there was nobody home. And it felt a little too much like there was nobody home. And I was reminded that there actually is precedent for this kind of thing in human history. The ninja warriors of feudal Japan would become as stone, meaning that they would harmonize their energies with stone and with inanimate natural objects in their environment for the purpose of evading detection by their enemies. So they would just mask their own personal energy. And I wonder if the Sasquatch are doing the same thing and if this is a counterpart or part of the same phenomenon that people report when they when they see cloaking or when they see Sasquatches slipping into another dimension. Whatever is actually happening there, I feel like it is a counterpart to this this other thing where they just kind of mask their energies. So what, whatever it is, I just I feel like it's a spiritual phenomenon. That's just my own personal feeling. There are lots of different views on the matter, but my personal feeling is that it is, it is related to that thing that humanity has forgotten about ourselves that we're supposed to rediscover in the Sasquatch. I, you know, I agree. And also, I think there's a lot of other explanations, too. When I hear people say, oh, you only got one footprint. Well, yeah, because, you know, if you watch some of Mike Patterson's videos, he gets a lot of really amazing evidence. Fingerprints on his car, foot tracks, and sometimes there's only one track. And that can be explained by, mm, say, I have a really good, I found one really good track. The substrate behind the track by five feet was really super hard and dense. The substrate where the track was was really muddy. And then the next step five feet forward is a pond. So, I mean, there's that. And then also you hear encounters from people who say, I was sitting there, I was hunting, I was looking through the scope of my rifle and I saw this thing jump up off the ground and swing through several trees like a monkey would do and swing through the trees. And this one guy said, uh, he was sitting there and watched this thing swing through the trees. And then he went and showed when the hunting party came back to where he was sitting, he had injured his ankle or something was sitting there waiting for them and saw this happen. And he told them all about it. And they go, Oh, I don't know if I believe you. So then they all looked at the branches and they are worn on the branches from where this Sasquatch was swinging from the trees. Apparently, that's got to be a normal traveled, regularly traveled trail for them to do that because of the wear on these pine branches. Because, you know, pine trees, they have that really rough texture, and this is worn down in uh, on these branches. And so that's a really, that was a fun story for me to read. I was like, you know, I've heard that before. 
from people on the Rogue River that have seen Sasquatch and say one minute he was there and the next minute he had jumped like six feet into the air and was hanging onto a branch and was swinging through a couple of trees just by branches. Isn't that amazing? It is. And, you know, I just think that they are such an intelligent creature. They're so strong. It's like our kids are sitting around playing, you know, on the Nintendos or whatever and their phones. And these Sasquatch kids are balancing on their butts and seeing how far that they can jump and just building muscle all day long and learning how to hunt and listen to the sounds of the wilderness. They know all of the sounds of the birds and the general vicinity and different animals and you know, it's just such a completely different world that we can't even begin to comprehend. I mean, just touching on the subject and having a conversation, you know, we just jump around and jump around and talk about it. You know, we can talk about it for hours and just kind of wondering what the Sasquatch people are doing out there and how are they hiding so easily and are they interdimensional and, you know, where is their relationship with UFO and aliens and it's a, it's a fun conversation. I could talk about it all day long. And that's why I've chosen to do what I do with the Bigfoot Encounters and Foot Club is, you know, I'm listening to people's encounters. I'm not judging them. I'm rewriting them for them and putting them in my book. Um, you know, at first I was just writing people's encounters because they were being made fun of for their grammar and punctuation and whatnot. And I was like, just send me your encounter and I'll redo it and I'll post it in the group. And so that's what I started doing. And then I was like, "This is I read these books all day long. Why can't I do this? I'm really good at it. And so I was like, I'm going to do this. So that's where we're at. <laughs> I'm actually writing a fictional novel, too. It's really fun. Yeah, you're working on at least two projects right now, aren't you? Yes, I am. I started writing a fictional novel. I'm not sure what I've titled it yet. I've got a whole page of title ideas. But it's going to be something along the lines of The Wild Man. And it's based in the 1800s, my very favorite era. It's about 1866. And, you know, I've got my characters and uh, my Bigfoot, my Sasquatch that actually visits me is my main, you know, Bigfoot character. Oh, that makes sense. And his name is Raja. (laughs) 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 So I really, I'm having a lot of fun doing the fictional novel. And I'm also really enjoying my um, encounter book because, like I said, I do these interviews. I talk to these people uh, for hours. And if I have a question, I always can call them and they answer. And, you know, they have the same details every time. And I have had these really intimate conversations with these people. And they're becoming very close friends of mine. Every time I have a conversation sometimes in the morning I wake up and have messages you know hi how are you doing and which one which brings me to a topic <laughs> what's his name Scott Yeoman we both wanted to talk about this I'm glad you brought it up uh go ahead so Jonathan has these alleged Sasquatch pictures that he took from a video camera but his house burned down and all he has is the stills. I wanted to bring it up because he was in my group and he would post one picture and then people would comment, where's the story behind the picture? And then he would post another picture 
and he instead of posting everything together, he sort of just it looked like attention seeking to me. And at first, I stuck up for him when people were asking, "Where's the story behind this? It looks like a hoax." And and I said, "Hey." You know, take it easy. But once I started talking to him on Messenger and I go, hey, we talked at length on Messenger. And I go, well, why don't we set up a phone call? We'll talk about this. And, you know, I want to do an interview if you want to be part of the book that I'm writing. Because he had said that he wanted to be part of the book that I was writing. And I was like, that's cool. We need to talk about it, you know, obviously. So he um, was very evasive. He wasn't answering my calls. He would set up a time to talk and then he wouldn't answer the phone or whatever. It was just a mess. So I was like, well, um, I, I moved on from that. But then people were posting in the group, hey, whatever happened to this guy and his photos? And I actually tagged him in one of the posts and he never responded. But that same day he was making comments on different posts. So he's just very evasive and I've, you know, in my time seeing his posts and his comments and, you know, not answering my phone calls. And like I said, with the other people that I do interviews with, they, we have hours long conversations and, you know, they always pick up the phone when I call and, you know, they're becoming fast friends. As far as I'm concerned, I think that he's, his story isn't right. And, uh, I did some research and, uh, found out that he was a registered sex offender his wife had passed away and in one of his stories that I read on the internet it was you know his wife came in with the video camera but it was Colorado but he actually at the time his address was in a different state and just nothing really added up to me I don't know where those pictures came from if they're actual pictures and he's just coming up with a story or if they're just fake pictures but whatever it is I think that Jonathan is attention seeking and in the wrong ways He's very deceptive. Yeah, and I'm glad that you, I was actually kind of, even though all of this sucks, I was actually kind of relieved to hear you say that because, uh, so just to go over that again, just just to kind of summarize what you're saying a little bit, uh, most people have, uh, you know, good intentions and most people come to you with very valuable and very real stories, but every once in a while there is one who you know, is just kind of deceptive, who, who who is intent on deceiving others for the sake of getting attention. And this yeoman gentleman seems to be one of them. And I was relieved to hear your thoughts on that matter, because uh, as I mentioned to you, I have been working with image manipulations for a long time for the purpose of creating artwork. When I saw the uh, pictures that this yeoman guy had come up with, uh, I very quickly noticed some very, very clear and definitive signs that these were, in fact, photo manipulations. It looks to me like he sampled the image of, a sa- of the Sasquatch in the window from uh, uh, stills from a video. And I know that he was supposed to have taken these images from a video anyway, but it looks to me like he actually took it from uh, a video and, and, and the the pixel count of the actual Sasquatch individual does not match the pixel count of the surrounding environment. So it looks to me like he took stills of the Sasquatch, of the supposed Sasquatch, from like a B-movie or something, and he paused it and he, and he took the, the still images, and then he, with a computer with Photoshop, he imposed them into the environment 
in which you can supposedly see the Sasquatch in the window. Uh, I can see where he selected the hair, uh, where he was making a selection around the hair, and he did a pretty decent job of it. Um, but there are clear signs where we're like trying to blend the layers together, the layer of the Sasquatch and the layer of the background behind the Sasquatch. There are very clear signs that, that he did that, that he artificially put this Sasquatch individual into that environment. There's a blue cast over the Sasquatch individual that you can tell is there because he didn't know how to color correct it to more naturally look like it was supposed to be in that environment. Uh, there, there were just all kinds of indications, and he, like, there's, there's a light reflecting in the window that comes from inside. But he also made the mistake of, of putting it as if this light was behind the Sasquatch's head. So he, he slipped up there a little bit. So he, he posted a number of pictures, and I was able to see in all of these pictures that they are in fact beginning to intermediate level photo manipulations. They are not real at all, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, I was, you know, see, I know nothing about that. So I was like, wow, these are really amazing. And then, but for me, and we talked about this too, you know, I have a background in law enforcement education as far as, you know, criminal investigation, interviewing and interrogation, on and on and et cetera, et cetera. And for me, where my training kind of comes into play was, you know, the being evasive, being deceptive, um, just kind of playing little tricks of, oh, we're going to do an interview. And then, you know, I would message and I think he clicks a little button on the messenger to where it ignores the message. So it doesn't look like it ever went through and just really clear signs of being evasive. And for me, that's just, there's another guy that was posting something in my group recently too. And he claimed to be former law enforcement and he was called to a scene and he saw this, vulgar scene with a Sasquatch, male Sasquatch and a female Sasquatch. And I was, I wasn't online. I was just doing something the last couple of days. I was on like a little mini vacay. But as soon as I got on there and I saw his comments, he had posted it in a bunch of different places and it was really super vulgar. So, so, so he had seen uh, some Sasquatches in a sex act. Yeah, he was saying, yes, he was, yes, and a little bit more vulgar than that. And he was using gross words and, and just, and he was just, it was a ridiculous story. So, but he wanted attention, apparently. He was trying to be a jerk in my group. And so I had to go through and type in his name in the search bar and go through and like delete probably five or six of his encounter stories that he put in there. It's like he copied and pasted it because. It was the same story in each comment, but he copied and pasted it and put it into a bunch of different places and was just being really just rude to my members. Hmm. So I had to put a little APB out there (laughs) and let everybody know, hey, I'm so sorry if he offended you in your post and I deleted everything and I blocked him from the group. You don't have to worry about that situation anymore. But that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about where I really pay attention to the group and I actually you know I have a couple of members that they're not moderators but they're sort of you know they're super super active in the group and they let me know if I don't catch something right away because like they said there's over 3,000 members in the group in a very short time too you know and so sometimes I don't see everything you know I'm the only one running the group mm-hmm. so 
I have some people that all point things out to me, and I'm like, thank you so much for letting me see that because I didn't see it. And then I'll go and delete it, you know, and then block the member or whatever I need to do to keep everybody sort of safe, you know, because I really pride myself in having this group of people who enjoy being there. Yeah, it's good that you've created a safe space for people. That's that's very important because it's not an easy thing to talk about. Casey, we're in the last few minutes of the show. I there is something that I wanted to ask you about. You had posted a story that was supposedly published in Wairika, and it was about a couple, uh, a somewhat affluent couple who had purchased some land and they had a an adopted autistic the child. child that they adopted. Yeah, yes. yeah. Do you know anything more about that story, like where it happened and who these people are, or, or anything like that? You know, I love that story, and I've read it several times, and the people who did the interview with that couple, and I believe it just said Darla Wairika. Yeah. And the people who actually did the interview and put that in their book is the couple who, I share a lot of their encounter stories because they're so sort of dedicated to the Northern California, Southern California region. Uh, where I live, so I always am interested in reading about encounters that are close to me. Um, that's Gary and Wendy Swanson. Mm-hmm. And um, I forget which book that one was a part of. I'm sure if, if it's in my group, I posted, you know, the author and the book title and everything in there. You know, I don't know much more about that. I've read it a couple of times and I would love to reach out to them and ask them a little bit more because it's such a heartwarming story and I love it every time I read it. Yeah, it it's it is a really nice story and it kind of touches upon things we've talked about in terms of certain people being more sensitive to these uh yes, experiences. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, we're in the last few minutes of the show. We've barely scratched the surface of of, of, of any of this stuff. We're, we're going to have to have like a, a ton of more conversations. Um, there, there is so much more to get into. But yeah, I mean, there there are certain people who are more susceptible or more uh, prone or sensitive to having these experiences. And, you know, this little kid seems to be one of those. And I, my interest in it has largely to do with the area in which it occurred. And I had wanted to know more about that because like you, I'm very interested in learning about uh, encounters that happen in my area, that being yeah, uh, Northern California. Close. Yeah, yeah. You and I are very close to one another. In fact, I I was born in Medford, um, uh, and you live oh. very close to Medford. This is the first time I've actually been back to this area since I was, you know, like an infant. So it's kind of like a homecoming for me. Uh, but yeah, we live pretty close together, and so we're we're both interested in uh, encounters that happen in this, you know, general area. So I wanted to know more about that. If you could. Like send these these people who took that interview my way. I'd, that'd be really cool. I'd like to talk to them about that. Yeah, I you know the one thing I do know about Gary and Wendy is that um, they are very adamant on um, keeping people's identities safe, and so I mean they have their email out there. It would be really great to message them and ask a little bit more about it if they could possibly because. I love that story, and I agree completely that it really touches on that whole chosen one, you know, people that are 
having these encounters or having these encounters sort of for a reason, you know, it's almost like they've been, they've been picked out and sort of at the right place at the right time. And this little boy in the story, so the story is that the couple, they adopted this young boy. He had never spoken. He had a really traumatic uh, incident as a baby and he never spoke. And he started taking a little backpack out on the property with a little dog. He was taking out the dog every day and he would take a little backpack. Well, mom started noticing that, you know, the hot dogs were disappearing really quickly and he was taking and his little backpack started getting heavier and heavier all the time that he was going out. And so she would replace the things uh, in the backpack, go to the grocery store and replace the things. Well, one day she took the boy with her and he was pointing out this and pointing out that. I was like this and that uh, to go bananas and whatnot. And then um, she and her husband decided to follow him one day. And he took off like he normally did with his backpack and the dog, Penny. The dog's name was Penny. And took off and they followed and they were kind of peeking behind a tree and they heard the dog barking and jumping and playing and they heard the boy laughing and they peeked around the corner and the boy was hugging this young Sasquatch that was about his own size and he was playing with the young Sasquatch and they said they looked over and there's mom a huge Sasquatch standing there it's almost like she tried to mimic a sound like sort of a greeting almost but was really uh, I guess mom and dad were pretty emotionally struck by that scene. And after that, the boy, um, he had put two or three words into his vocabulary. Um, and the one word that he called them was Saska. Because he didn't say Sasquatch, but he called them Saska. I love that story. I've read it multiple times. I read it out loud to my mom one time, too, and she started crying. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good one. I like that one. And I think it's an important one. Sometimes you come across Very, yeah. experiences that you can just tell are important, like they can add information and they can, you know, add insight for people. I think that's one of those stories. Uh, that's that's a really great one. Well, uh, there, there's just one more question and then we're going to wrap up this episode. Um, I wanted to ask you if like if you ever come across dogman encounters in, in, in your experiences. I had a couple, I had, I've had a couple of people share that in my group. When I very first started the group, I had somebody that um, saw a dog man and he, he drew a photo, he drew a picture and he put it in the group. So if you go through the photos, you'll see his drawings in there and probably comments attached to it. But yeah, not really. It's mostly just about Bigfoot. Um, in the group, people don't really kind of waver. There are a couple of people that have had, you know, the other encounters as far as UFO. There's a girl in my group who has a lot of experiences. She sends me private photos of things that she takes pictures of, and, I'm, and they're impressive, very impressive photos. And and the stuff that happens to her on her property just amazing. And she asked me permission one day if she could post something so that she can get a little bit of feedback because in the other groups, like I said, people are nasty and they just are screwed. So I said, yeah, go ahead and post something. And she got like 50 comments on a post or something. Everybody was like, Oh, uh, coming out of the woodworks. Hey, 
I've had this happen and that happen and I've seen orbs and stuff. So she got a lot of feedback from other people and gave her a little bit of validation for what she's been going through. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. And I mean, I think we just need to be open to the other aspects of this phenomenon because it's all, it just, it's becoming more and more apparent that it's all related. So, I mean, I'm glad that she got some positive feedback for that. She's a friend of the group. So, you know, if somebody is a friend of the group and they want to ask a question, and especially if they go out of their way to message me first and ask me, hey, can I post this? Mm. I'm totally down to allow them to, you know, ask a different question that's not Bigfoot related, or maybe it is Bigfoot related and we don't know. And that's why we need feedback from other people that have had experiences. Exactly. Well, Casey, we are at the end of the episode. I want to point out to our listeners that if you would like to be able to have a safe space in which to discuss your Bigfoot encounters, you can always look up Casey Miller on Facebook, her group that is, uh, Bigfoot Encounters and Book Club. It's a safe space for people to discuss their encounters and whatever ideas they have on the subject. I myself am a member of Casey's group, so it's a good place. Again, that is Bigfoot Encounters and Book Club. And the uh, the mastermind behind it all is Casey Miller. Uh, and Casey, uh, if, do you do you have uh, any in, any other information you want to put out there in case people want to get in touch with you, report uh, a sighting to you, or just anything else you want to bring our attention to? Uh, absolutely. Thank you so much for that, too, by the way. And I just wanted to add that it is a highly monitored group, so there is absolutely zero tolerance for any kind of bullying in the group. I do watch and I do have other people that kind of watch out for me and let me know. Uh, so if things, comments need to be deleted and uh, people need to be removed, that happens as soon as we see it. And um, yeah, I'm really easily reached on uh, Facebook Messenger through the group. You can message me or my email address is Miller.she.wrote at Outlook.com. Sort of like Murder She Wrote. Miller She Wrote. M-I-L-L-E-R dot she dot wrote at Outlook.com. Dot W-R-O-T-E at Outlook.com. Okay. Uh, look forward to hearing uh, everybody's encounters. This is what I love to do. Love to talk about this all day long. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just give justice to people's stories and put it out there and spread the word. Fix it's real. And, you know, all of these things are coming to light that we've been talking about. And it's a really exciting uh, time right now, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the chosen need to come together and uh, bring bring all the 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 insight to people's attention. So that's, that's important. Right, exactly. I think so. I I highly agree with that. Well, Casey Miller, thank you so much for joining us today on Type Four Seven One. It's been a great conversation, and I look forward to our many future conversations. Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me. It's it's been a pleasure. All right, you take care. Look for Type 471 wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to like and follow the show. If you want to report your experiences to me, you can do so through my website, type471.wordpress.com. Or you can just email me, type471podcast at gmail.com. Also, check out the Type 471 Podcast YouTube channel. 
Each YouTube video contains all the images and media associated with each episode. If you like what I'm trying to do with this show, share it with other human people. I'm Sam Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Type 471.